that's some sweet truth we just sang. How rich is that? Thank you, worship team, for leading us. Growing up, if you're like me, you played a lot of games. We lived in uh, Crystal Lake, Illinois, and so back in that day, uh, neighborhoods were nice and safe, and neighbors knew neighbors, and and uh, kids would kind of come out of the woodwork as we played games like kick the can and ghost in the graveyard, and, and we get Simon Says was one, and and follow the leader. That was another game we played, and everyone wanted to be the leader. If you played that game, you know why. Because the leader was always right. <laughs> it was never caught off guard. He control, had to control the activity. He's never embarrassed by having to imitate other people. Everyone wanted to be, everyone wanted to be the leader. But you know, growing up hasn't changed a lot. Especially when it comes to discerning what it means to lead and what it means to follow. Our perception of the difference between leading and following now, though, is not a game. And oftentimes the stakes are high. As one author said, all of life, its outcomes, rises and falls on whether or not we will choose to be the leader of our own destiny or a follower of someone wiser and better fit to lead. And how true that is. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 22, you and I are called to follow the leader. And I want to look at a, this initial call to the first disciples. And I think there's a lot to learn from just these four verses. Verse 18, let's start there, Matthew 4. And walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left the nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. Let's pray. Lord, as we come singing and rejoicing in the fact that you are our cornerstone, You are our Lord and you are our Savior. In these moments, I pray you'd speak to us of what it means to live that out. I pray you'd help us to see. To see your truth. And Lord, to see how we stand in relation to your truth. So that in all things you'd be praised and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when someone enters a relationship with Jesus, they have a new leader. They become a follower. And there's an important distinction we need to make in this idea of following. Jesus, as he had the two brothers, he started by saying, follow. It's the first word he said to them. And something significant has happened since Christ has called you and I to follow him. And if we are honest, we are quite happy to call ourselves Christians with little or no thought of following. To me, it seems easy to perceive ourselves as Christians, as believers, as brothers and sisters. And that those are all true and all wonderful. But there can be a vagueness about them, 
A vagueness which does little to forge a sense of call. And to allow for you and I a definition of what Christianity is really all about. And it's not that we denied Christ or maybe even done horrible things. The fact is, maybe many have mastered the codes of conduct of Christianity. The problem is, we have masqueraded Christ with our own ways. And when unbelievers see a Christianity far too often, they see a distorted portrayal of Christianity, more so than a clear reflection of the character and the quality of Christ. How would I define following? Well, a couple of elements of it. One is following. We've been called into a deepening intimacy with Christ. You see, Jesus calls us to himself, first of all, into a relationship. Also, this idea of following has an idea of being in close proximity to him. Close proximity to him who transforms you and I. And his transformation results in a clear reflection of his character. That's what I believe it means to follow. But there are a multiplicity of voices outside and inside the church. But for the Christian, we listen to one. The one who calls us to follow. The voice of Christ who says to you and I, follow me. And follow has no conditions. There's no negotiation. No particulars. No contractual exceptions. Jesus says, just follow. That's what he said to them. He didn't make it complicated. As he said to his disciples and you and I, follow. In Matthew 4, I find it interesting, in John 21, Jesus says to Peter, follow me. Those are both the first and the last things he says to Peter. It is the beginning and end of what it means to be a Christian. And everything in between that is measured by it. But it seems in a strange and twisted way, too many live out their faith in Christ as if He exists to follow us. And if we were, true, if we were honest, at times we probably fall into that as well. As we wave to Christ and say, come on, I got my plans and I got my, my agenda, and so God, come on, why don't you follow me? And it's a dangerous distortion to live as if Christ exists to satisfy our demands. Because a distorted view brings distorted behavior. It sets the power of faith and prayer as instruments designed to get Christ to serve our impulses for peace and prosperity. This distortions disguise form of self-living that sets Christ as one more commodity in life that will enhance and empower our dreams and our plans. But an informed perspective on following not only exposes these distortions, but cancels them. And the key is you and I identifying ourselves as followers of Jesus because it captures the essence of what it means to be a Christian. It keeps our focus, and to be honest, it holds us accountable for how we live. A while ago I read about hunting dogs. And that hunting dogs during the hunting season, you can put them all together in a, in a kennel or in a cage and they get along quite well. But during hunting season, you can put them same dogs in a cage or a kennel and they begin to fight and become agitated. Why? Because hunting dogs remain to hunt and when they're not hunting, they engage in unproductive behavior. And I would say the same is true for Christians. We were called to follow and we're not following. We engage in unproductive behavior. 
sinful expressions. We begin to go our own way. And we cease to follow. And the result is behavior which is not pleasing to God and behavior which doesn't reflect the character of Christ. But then there's this sense of convergence in following. This word convergence I chose because it means to approach a common center or basically a simple point. And so what's the center of following? What's the simple point of following? Jesus' words, follow me, is a call to count ourselves singularly, holy, without compromise, fully devoted followers. Followers of Him. Not as part of a one-time expression or an add-on to our Christianity. Not a, a class of Christians who are a little more serious than the rest. No, it's... It's who we're supposed to be, all of us. And yet there is really, if we're honest, a tension between the call of Christ and our resistance to follow. And it puts this experience and it puts this authenticity of Christianity in jeopardy. Because there is a tension. Rick, Marianne, and Greg will tell you this. Rick was surrounded by 200 people in a church And as he listened to the speaker pointedly talk about personal purity, at the close of the message, several came forward to commit themselves to lies of integrity and moral purity. But Rick knew this type of commitment would mean not going over to Vicky's apartment on the weekends. It would mean denying a part about his life that he'd come to both enjoy and count on. And as he watched others stand, he thought about how convincing his college professor had been in claiming that there really are no moral absolutes. And he remembered that few in class had any sympathy for those who held to objective truth. And now sitting on that chair, he wondered why he should give up his relationship with Vicky. Rick never stood. Rick never followed. Mary Ann... Her husband had been living for several months in the duplicity of an affair when she found a crumpled up note in her husband's jeans. When she confronted him, he callously admitted it was true and promised he'd never do it again. Yet in the weeks that followed, he continued to see this other woman. And at the salon, Marianne read an article that encouraged couples to be free enough to love beyond the, cope, the scope of their own marriage. This article commented that sometimes affairs are good and can help couples communicate better and understand each other. Several of Marianne's friends at church told her that if they were in her shoes, they would have kicked her husband out long ago. And amid the pain of rejection and betrayal by her husband, she felt torn from without and within because bitterness had begun to settle in. Yet she knew Christ would want her to honor her promises, to offer mercy, grace, and forgiveness toward her husband. It was clear what she must do if she'd follow Christ. Greg sat in his usual chair at Tuesday night Bible study at the Parker's home. And tonight as Bob Parker led the study, it became clear to Greg that the deal he and his partner were designing was built on unethical premise. Few, if any, would ever know. He didn't hear much of what was said for the next several minutes. He knew how badly his wife wanted to remodel their home. 
and buy new furniture. And this deal would help him to be able to provide that. His partner also claimed to be a Christian. He wouldn't want to hear that this deal was out of bounds. As Greg remembers him dismissing Christians who didn't buck up and be good businessmen. Yet Greg knew to be a non-negotiated follower of Christ, he'd have to tell his partner in the morning that the deal was off. Stacy was a teenager, and as she sat in a cafeteria during lunch one afternoon, several of her friends engaged in a slanderous communication about other classmates. As Stacy began to enter into this conversation, there was something within her that told her that this is wrong. Yet if she withheld or even if she interjected positive thoughts and tried to defend these classmates, she knew that she could be cast aside and even belittled. It was in that moment Stacy knew whether she would need to follow or not. Because there's a convergence, there's a tension when it comes to following Jesus. No matter how old you are, no matter what station of life, there's a tension. Because it challenges us, our very desire to live life on our terms. Because following, in a simple sense, is that the complexity of life is reduced to a single question. Where is Christ on this issue? Another issue would be, am I on the road with Him? Because a follower has a singular focus, it's Christ. Wherever He is, is where the follower will be. Wherever He goes, this is the direction of the follower. Are you following? This morning as you sit here, maybe you're like Greg, Mary Ann, or Stacy. And the question you would have to ask yourself, are you following? Or are you inviting Christ to follow you? Have you lost the focus of what it really means? Maybe you've been quite happy to call yourself a Christian, but when attention came too hard to following, you backed off. Because after all, that's getting a little radical. It's a little over the top. Or maybe I'll follow later when my, the seasons of life change. But if you look at this text even more, it gets even more helpful to understand. Verse 19, Jesus says, follow me and I will make. I like that. We follow, he makes. Our job's simple. Singular focus, follow Christ. He makes, he shapes us to be who he wants us to be. He conforms us into the character of Christ. You see, following Christ not only simplifies life, but also fills the believer the follower, with a riveting sense of awe and wonder. But simplicity and wonder does not change the sense of tension out of which following brings. The journey brings and encounters tremendous pressure that emerges out of the depths in our lives starting as a follower is easier compared to staying on the road with him. And there are obstacles for sure. Look in verse 20 of this text. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. There's moments that significantly test our resolve to be fully devoted. In my observation, this is why many don't follow Christ in baptism. It challenges their sense of comfort. 
It challenges their sense of followership. It challenges their safety from risk and devotion. It, it, it protects them and shields them from a sense of accountability that as they follow Christ in baptism, the body watches them, and who knows, maybe one day they'll be called to the carpet. And so, as they think about following, they face that tension. And they say, no thanks. I got a phone call this week. Uh, a family that's special to us, the daughter called me, teenage daughter. She calls me Uncle Matt. She says, Uncle Matt, God spoke to me. He wants me to be baptized. Would you come do it? No one compelled her. No one coerced her. She heard. And she followed. That's a great example. That really encouraged me. You see, your followership means that we may have to give up something important. It challenges the familiar and it challenges the comfortable. It flies in the face of reason. If we're honest, even our natural instincts. And when we face those times, we come into a strategic crossroads. When we cling to what's safe and secure and familiar, we put our followership on hold. And when we do that, we face ineffectiveness and disappointment. Now, when Jesus called Peter and Andrew to follow, don't fly through this. They didn't just drop their nets because they had a hobby of fishing. That was their livelihood. That was their status. That's what they were familiar with. That's what they were comfortable with. Matter of fact, later when we read in the Gospels, when things got kind of tough and things got kind of rough, we're not surprised. We found them fishing. Because that was the familiar, that was their default. That was their livelihood. So don't fly by, by that. They had to give up. They had to sacrifice. They had to turn their back on several things, not the least of which stability, that sense of stability. Because for them, following meant leaving. There's one thing that stood between them and following. The text tells us it was their nets. You see, continuing to cling to those nets and all they represented, the security, the income, the familiar, meant denying to follow. Followers are to be netless believers. And I should define what a net is. It's anything that inhibits or prohibits our non-negotiated commitment to follow Christ. A net is anything that inhibits or prohibits our non-negotiated commitment to follow Christ. And none of us are exempt from getting ensnared to the nets. And followership's not necessarily something we volunteer for. It's what God has built us for. It's what God has called us to do. Joe Stoll, former president of the Moody Bible Institute, says God does not blink and look the other way when we balk at following him. Instead, he relentlessly pursues us. Because he calls us to follow. To follow him. And he pursues us until we drop our nets. He brings influence to nudge us back to following, to dropping our nets. And there are influences that nudge us. Friends, friends could nudge us towards following. Sermon, quiet voice of the Holy Spirit within, just like my young friend. 
Could be a devotional, could be a book, could be someone's example. And God can use all those to nudge us to drop our nets. Now if I was sitting in your seat right now, I know there's some thoughts would probably be going through my mind. Okay, if I'm to be a follower like you're saying, does that mean I have to stop this or that? Or Matt, if I get serious about this thing called following, does that mean I'll have to start doing this? Or what about this? That seems risky. I could lose my job. I might have to move out. That sounds risky. But the impulses of resistance are pulls of nets that hinder our progress. So let me ask you, what do you hold in your hands that stands in the way of non-negotiated followership? Where are the nets that you're hanging on to? It strikes me as I read verse 22, and they immediately left the boat and their father. You see, people can be nets. People can be nets in the sense that it could be a net of a friend who walks and talks and plays in a way contrary to Christ. People can be nets in the sense there's someone we haven't forgiven or released back to God. Because people can be nets. Things can be nets. Possessions. We take great joy in them. As a matter of fact, they become so important, they become symbols of significance to us. We choose and we trust them instead of Him. You see, things can be nets. Plans and dreams can be nets. You see, when Christ's plans conflict with what we schedule for ourselves, are we willing to drop our plans, our nets, for Him? Money can be a net. It's an entangler of great consequence. Many of us are concerned that if we commit ourselves as fully devoted followers, Christ will threaten our treasury. And indeed He may. But money can be a net. Secret sins is a net of extremely debilitating. What are the nets you're hanging on to that stands in the way of non-negotiated followership? It's important. It's a key question this morning. And I would warn you, the longer you hang on to those nets, the more ensnared you become. Jesus' call was right away. He didn't stop and explain anything. He just said, follow me, and I'm going to make you something you're not. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to change you. But that transformation will come as you follow me. Should you hang on to the nets, we only become more ensnared. Two critical truths to close on. I wonder here who's courageous enough to identify and drop their net today. Because the first observation is Christ calls us away from everything that stands between us and Him. What's the net God's identifying in your mind even as you sit here? Are you willing to here and now drop it and follow Christ fully? could be a person, could be an activity, could be possessions become too important. I don't know. But what net is God calling you to drop this morning? And when we leave our nets, we don't leave them for a new career. We don't leave them for a new necessarily endeavor. We drop our nets for a person. We follow Him. We follow Jesus. Will you be a follower? A netless 
believer. I heard a testimony this week by a professional hockey player called Mike Fisher. You might know his wife, Carrie Underwood. And he shared about coming to Christ at a young age. And how as he got drafted into hockey and got the new contract and everything, he became extremely disoriented as he shared. He recognized life became very difficult. And what was neat about his testimony is he shared he was having a Bible study with his cousin. And he came across the passage. Jesus said, He who does not deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In essence, cannot be an I disciple. And Mike shared in that moment, the light bulb came on. That being a Christian was much more than the one-time decision he made as a young age. He said in that moment, God began to change him. You see, he began to change him because he became a follower. He began and learned to follow the leader. We don't leave our nets for a career. We leave our nets for a person. Will you become a netless believer, a follower? Let's pray. Lord, there's times, probably not enough, but where I appreciate that you boil down the Christian life to a simplicity of focus. Forgive us for making it some elaborate formula, some difficult procedure. And thank you for the call this morning to follow you. We do recognize the tension, God. And Lord, please forgive us for the times we've walked away from you because other things look too important. I pray for my brothers and sisters in here. There might be rope burns on some hands, on some hearts. Nets have ensnared us Things have become too important. Our comfort could be our convenience. It could be things. It could be money. It could be our plans. It could be any numerous things. Probably different things for different people here. But I pray as we hear your voice, we drop all the nets. We become fully devoted followers of you. I know that's scary. But give us the faith to do it, God. The faith, the strength, the focus to be followers. Followers of you. And Lord, we know as we do that, that we'll bring you praise and you'll get the glory from our life. And that's our desire. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.